Turn your Bibles to Revelation. Chapter 15 is where we're going to begin, but we're going to, again, just kind of sit in high-level ideas before we get into this, because we're, we're drawing to a major uh, conclusion, it is done portion in Revelation today. So again, when we sit in this document, this revelation of Jesus Christ, in many ways it's easy to understand, in other ways it's extremely difficult. Focusing on the high level, big picture, easy things to see, in Revelation chapter 1, we have Jesus revealing himself in his glory, in his majesty, in his holiness, uh, in, as a priest, as a judge, as him, as our God standing and dwelling in the midst of his church, which again, being the churches, you've been called out of this world into a relationship with him. Chapter one, this revelation of Jesus. Chapters two and three, we have Jesus specifically, specifically giving his last words to these seven churches, and we sat in that in detail. But in last week, we really focused in on Jesus and his victory. And it's just, it would be, it is healthy to just sit in the promises that Jesus has given to us as we pursue him, as we have faith in him, as we trust in him, as we follow him, as we depend upon his victory in our lives. There's, very, there's seven specific promises to those who hear him, that hears the spirit, and that overcomes. Here is what I'm going to give you in my victory that I am providing for you, Jesus says. Here's all these wonderful promises for our eternal future with him. It's incredible encouragement. In chapters 4 and 5, there is given to John a vision of the throne room of heaven. And in that, chapter 5, we have Jesus defined as the only one who is worthy to open this scroll, this document that's sealed with seven seals. And that's this big picture. This document is seen as more than likely a title deed to the earth. It says it's written on the inside and the outside. Typically, this, this type of scroll and the culture, it would have the requirements necessary for this document to be opened as a title deed or a will. But as Jesus opens up these seals, we see these judgments begin to be poured out in chapter 6. And the seals, the seal judgments seem to revolve around the establishment of the Antichrist kingdom. The Antichrist is the rider on the white horse in chapter 6, and we watch war and then famine and death and martyrs follow after that. The fifth seal is this, this cosmic judgment that we watch poured out. So as Jesus, the Lamb of God, is opening up this document, he is beginning to pour out his judgment on a Christ-rejecting world, and this is in the seven years immediately before he returns. Out of the seventh seal, it flows the seven trumpet judgments and then the seven bold judgments that we're going to deal with today. When you sit in the overarching theme of the judgments that are identified at the sounding of each one of these trumpets, it seems that the trumpets are revolving around this alarm cry to repent. So every single one of them, there is a judgment of God that is being poured out, but we watch God in his reservation. And I say that in this. As we go through the bold judgments this morning, God does not hold back his anger. He does not hold back his wrath. And the bold judgments are even more horrific than everything that we've already gone through in, in Revelation thus far. 
the trumpet judgments, it's, it says a third of the vegetation struck, a third of the sea is struck. It's, it's God judging in reservation. And when we sit in our relationship with God today, there's a danger of misinterpreting God's action and behavior towards us in regards to our sin, what we're engaging in. As we watch uh, uh, evil occur in the world, we can ask God the question, why did you allow this to happen? And we're watching God in his patience. You know, why is it that I've been following Jesus for 22 years? The Bible is really clear that if I were to drop dead right now, I get to go be in the presence of the Lord. That's not a bad thing. That's a good thing. The only reason I'm still here today is because he has a plan and purpose for my life to continue to share and declare him to people who haven't bent the knee to him yet. That's, uh, my understanding is the only reason humanity is still around is because Jesus is still in the business of saving people. That as we look at those who are outside of him today, it's not God get them, God kill them. It's God get them with your love your sacrifice, with your mercy, with your kindness, with your compassion. Let them see you. Let them know you. Let them understand you. Let them bend the knee to you. Let them be welcomed in to your kingdom through your sacrifice for all eternity. Amen? And that's what we're watching through Revelation. These trumpet judgments are these final announcements to the world to repent. Jesus says, I am coming quickly. And we're going to sit in, you know, what does that look like for us today? What is it? And we're sitting in this information, these, these end time events, these declarations of repentance. But now in chapter 15, again, we looked at Jesus and his victory last week. And we're going to look at Jesus and his anger this morning. So it's a little bit more of a hellfire and brimstone message. But we're really going to press into the good news of that information, of course. So in the beginning of chapter 15, John sees this, another sign in heaven. He says, great and marvelous, seven angels having the seven last plagues for in them, the wrath, the anger, the passionate anger of God is complete. In chapter, in verse 2, rather, it says that there is, he sees these, those that have victory over Satan, the beast, his image, his mark. Over the number of his name, they're standing before God, offering this song of praise. I want this, I want this song, again, here, here are martyred individuals, people who lost their lives, had their heads removed from their shoulders because they loved Jesus. Here's the song that they're singing before God, and the attention's not on themselves, the attention is on God. And this is what we constantly need to press into. Like, again, if, I, if I'm focused on me, if I'm focused on the news headline, I get agitated, the peace gets removed, rest gets removed, love gets removed out of me, I start becoming really judgmental until the Lord just keeps my heart in this position of praise and attention on him. It's all about him. Listen, great and marvelous are your works, God. Your actions always, they're great and they're marvelous. He is Lord God Almighty. Just, which means right, equitable. We're going to sit in this definition again today. And true are your ways. Just again, as you follow Jesus, even in your rebellion, as he leads you, as he chastens you, as he ministers to you and provides to you and serves you and leads you forward in your relationship with him, the way that he takes you, it is just and it is true. O king of the saints, 
Who shall not fear you, O Lord, and glorify your name? Not a church's name, not an individual's name, the name of God. The name of Jesus has been given to humanity. There is no other name given to us whereby we must be saved, we are told in Acts. I love this definition of God. You only are holy. You want to know who God is? Go and study what holiness is. You want to know about why does God have anger towards sin? Is because sin is what is unholy. It is what is not him. So his emotion towards anything that is in rebellion to him is defined as this passionate anger from Genesis all the way through Revelation. You alone are holy. All the nations, every single ethnic group is going to come and worship before you. That's what we're doing this morning, praising his name, gratitude, thankfulness, singing hymns and songs and these spiritual songs over one another, proclaiming his good news, proclaiming his work. We go before him and we worship him. We declare him and his works and his ways to him. Your judgments, his righteous commandments, his legal decisions, they have been revealed and exposed to us. So as we sit in the song, here's where we're beginning this morning. Verse 5. After these things, John looks and he beholds the temple of the tabernacle of the testimony in heaven was opened. And when you go and you sit in the Old Testament, you have the book of Exodus as the nation of Israel is being brought out of slavery in Egypt. As God is dealing with them and revealing himself to them, he gives these instructions to build this tent, this tabernacle. And God says, in the, in the midst of the Holy of Holies, this, this square room in the back of this tent is the place where God was going to dwell in the midst of his people. We're told today through faith in Jesus Christ that he dwells within us. We are now the tent, the tabernacle of God through faith in Jesus Christ. But all of that is imagery to what is real. So here earlier on in chapter 4, John is taken to the throne room of heaven and he sees God sitting on this throne, this position of authority. And this temple, there is a structure in heaven that the tabernacle was to image, that the temple that was built by Solomon and then rebuilt later on was to image. The future temple is to image the exact same thing. It's It's an image of the reality of what is in heaven and what is true. There is a sanctuary. There is a dwelling place. We are told that the ark of the testimony, so his law, his covenant with man, and I, and I think in, in all of its forms throughout the word of God, is in this structure, in this place, in his eternal abode. Whatever that looks like, I don't know, can't wait to see it, because it's going to be awesome. So here, this is what John sees. He sees the sanctuary of the tabernacle, this tent of the testimony, which again, this this the, the legal declarations of God, whether it be the Ten Commandments specifically, that God pinned by his own finger in the Old Testament, and all that that represents in regards to loving God and loving man. He, John sees this in heaven. This structure is opened. Out of this temple comes the seven angels that he saw earlier that have the seven plagues. Again, these last blows 
these last judgments, we are told that they are clothed in pure, bright linen. Which again, this is the same clothing that Jesus manifested himself to be clothed in in Revelation 1. We are told that through faith in Christ, we are clothed in these same garments. This imagery of holiness, having their chest girded with golden bands. When you gird your clothes in the word of God, it is, it's, it's a preparation for action. And here it's a preparation for a holy war. And that imagery carries through. We'll see that all the way into chapter 19 too when Jesus comes back. So they are imaging God, these angels, as they come out of this structure. Verse 7, one of the four living creatures that comes all the way back from chapter 4 too, these weird creatures that are always before God. It says day and night they do not cease to proclaim Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty who was and is and is to come. Here one of these angels, one of these creatures is taking a breath. He is coming out of this structure. And this is the creature that says he is giving to these seven angels, these seven golden bowls that are full of the wrath of God. The imagery, again, this is, uh, you go sit in the, the, the activity of the priests in the Old Testament. These golden bowls are part of those sacrificial offerings and all that was going on. These bowls, it is, they are not filled with an offering. They are filled with the wrath of God. There is a point, we are told in history, when God's wrath is complete, it is filled. And here we are going to watch it being poured out. The wrath of God the true and living God who lives forever and ever. And as this creature leaves the presence of God in the temple, we are told that the temple in heaven is filled with smoke from the glory of God. You see all these, uh, again, a lot of Old Testament imagery. When God shows up, he is, he, his glory is covered in this cloud. The presence of God, the glory of God, and from his power... No one was able to enter the temple. So the seven plagues of the seven angels were completed. So here God alone in his glory, in his majesty, in his wrath, in his judgment, isolates himself as each one of these judgments is poured out on those who reject Jesus, not on those who were his. Chapter 16, then I heard a loud voice from the temple. So this is the voice of God saying to the seven angels, go and pour out the bowls of the wrath of God on the earth. Now, as we go through this, just like with the trumpet judgments, a lot of the imagery goes back to the plagues of Exodus. So there's, there's imagery that we can sit in, but nothing compares to what occurs here. The first, verse 2, says, The first went and poured out his bowl upon the earth, and it says, A foul and loathsome sore came upon the men who had the mark of the beast and those who worshipped his image. The Greek uses these two words for evil, 
One of them is just bad, evil in and of itself. The other one is this, this malignant, growing, um, it's, it's, it's evil that consumes all around it, so to say. So here, this bowl of judgment is poured out in God's wrath, and it's directed to who? It's not directed to all of humanity. It's directed to those who have chosen to worship Satan, to worship the Antichrist, to worship the false prophet, to worship the image. They have received the mark on the forehead or the hand, not tricked into it, deceived, absolutely, but willingly taking on this mark, willingly worshiping. This is where the wrath of God is being poured. Now, don't stone me, but I sit in a, a question um, we're told earlier that there, there's an angel that proclaims that whoever, meaning anybody who takes the mark, judgment is coming. And as I sit, I sit in this section, we are told three times that, uh, that humanity that is in rebellion against God does not repent. They continue to blaspheme God. They do not repent. In my understanding of God's nature and character, even as he is passing judgment, that a, a main goal in our lives to anybody that is still breathing is to bring about repentance, to bring about a turning. We sit in one side that it seems uh, by interpretation that anyone who takes the mark of the beast, it is impossible to repent. As I sit in this chapter, and it, it makes the comment that these individuals, they don't repent, it gives me a question mark of, is God still seeking repentance in their lives? Or is he really just drawing us a picture of those who reject him? They will reject him for all eternity, regardless of what judgment God passes. Um, but when I watch God, when I watch God today, he is seeking for us to continually turn into him. Whether, whether you're unsaved, whether you're not saved, there is a constant call from God for us to just turn into him to seek him, to understand, to know, to spend time, to worship, to pray, to follow, to serve, whatever that may be, there's this constant call. But when you sit in this, this loathsome and foul sore, we're going to see a minute. These individuals do not repent from it, but they stick the middle finger up at God and curse him for it. I can't imagine that kind of heart, and I am thankful that he has changed my heart. May he continue to do so. Verse 3, second bowl. Second angel pours out his bowl on the sea, and it became blood as of a dead man, and every living creature in the sea died. Again, I told you before, in the trumpet judgment, there's a judgment that is poured out on the sea where a third of the sea is struck. It was limited. It was God restricting. Now you are watching God judge and pour out his anger in his fullness. Now, just sit in imagery for a minute. 70% of this planet that we live on is covered by ocean. I think this, this, it's like 350 million trillion gallons of water, whatever. It's a lot, right? This judgment, we are told that 70% of this planet, its seas, 
become as blood. And not like you go get your blood drawn in liquid blood that you see in a vial. This is blood as a dead man. I don't know if you've ever witnessed that or seen the blood of a dead person, that it is sticky and stagnant and it is putrefying and it is corrupt. It is an absolutely gross image. How many of you have seen the ocean and its beauty and its wonder? Now in your imagination and the drama of the horror, now imagine going to the beach and just seeing that sticky, stagnant death until the horizon. What would that do to the climate? I, I mean, again, and I bring that up to say that as these bowls are being poured out, it seems like this is very rapid. The sores are poured out upon those who reject Jesus. At this time, so you have to sit in other prophecies to get the right picture that there are many who are, have turned to faith and that are still alive and they're still professing faith at Jesus in this time. So this is a judgment that is coming upon all of the earth that is impacting the unsaved just as much as the saved. And not only is it the seas, in verse 4 it says, the third angel poured out his bowl on the rivers of springs of water and they became blood. So now, it's Lake Lanier, it's the Chattahoochee, it's the streams that run through our neighborhoods, it's the springs that come up from the ground. Can you imagine? How long can we live without water? A few days. Again, these are, this is rapid succession, the final full wrath of God being poured out. And listen to this, the angel, there's an angel over the waters of the earth. God has designated to this being that he is over the waters, whatever that means. I don't know. We'll ask him when we get there. But this angel who has been commissioned over the waters, this is his declaration to God. God, you are righteous. Listen to this. You are just. You are fair. We cry for equality in the world. This is, God, your judgment this is equality is what's being, this is fair, this is right, this is just. You are righteous, O Lord, the one who is and was and who is to be. That title and declaration of our eternal God. And listen why, you are righteous because you have judged these things, because you have condemned and you have declared these people, you have declared Satan, the Antichrist, the false prophet, and all who bend the knee, and all who have continued in evil rather than turning to God and his righteousness. You are right and true and fair and just to judge, to condemn and declare guilty anybody who lacks your holiness. And his holiness is perfect. The word of God says you must be perfect because I am perfect. And all, we all fail in this. And he says, come to me and I will give you my holiness. What a gift God has given to us. And what a tragedy it is for anyone who continues to reject. Why is God judged just in this? They have shed, they have, they've poured out the blood of the saints and the prophets, and you have given them blood to drink. It is their just due. 
And, and again, what is due? It means that it's, it's worthy, it's befitting, it corresponds to their actions. Here's another angel from the altar. And again, this, this altar, this is that altar of prayer that is in heaven in the seal judgments. I think it's in the fifth seal. We see uh, individuals who were martyred for their faith. They are crying out to God, how long before you judge? And he clothes them in garments and he tells them to wait just a little while. And here from that altar, from the same position that these saints are underneath here, the declaration, even so, yes, Lord God Almighty, true and righteous are your judgments. That's, those are hard words to say. You said in the Old Testament when God tells the children of Israel to go into a community, and I am God giving the command to kill every man, woman, child, and animal. Do you like that? Oh, that's hard. That's hard to sit in. But this is what we always have to bring. God is holy. God is good. God is compassionate. There's a reason. As he is sending in the children of Israel and using them as his instrument of justice, we're told that God gave these cultures centuries to repent in his patience. And the execution and the judgment that is occurring is so that their evil does not influence his kids. And this we're going to see as we get into chapter 17 and 18, like the influence of Babylon and all that it represents. God's cry to us, come out of Babylon, my people. Come out of the darkness. Come into his light. Come out of your philosophy and your politics and your religion and man's commandments and your society and your ethnic group and your sex and your culture. Come out of all of that and come to me. Let me define you. Let me make you. Let me give you my life. Let me give you my mind. Let me give you my heart. When we understand a fraction of his holiness, only then can we understand the righteousness and justice in his judgment. Verse 8, the fourth angel pours out his bowl on the sun. Power is given to him to scorch men with fire. And again, this is where I brought up climate earlier. I can, what happens if all the Earth's oceans become blood? How does that change clouds and wind and shade? Here, sun is given this, this strength to just radiate its light and its heat to scorch humanity. Men were scorched with great heat. There's part of me that has to believe that this is just upon the rejectors, not upon those who are saved. Like I said, that's just, that's me. It says that they blaspheme the name of God who has power, who has authority over these plagues. They did not repent and give him glory. God, when I see you, when I see your works, when I sit in your word, may I not offer you excuse, may I not shake my fist at you, but may I truly hear that call to repent, to be transformed, not in my self-effort, but in your glory, Lord. It's always hard to, to sit 
in somebody else's life who you know God is speaking to them, you know that God is seeking to get their attention in whatever the, the circumstance may be. But when they don't repent and give God glory, there's always angst there. And this is, again, this is what the part of me that just, you know, I, I just, the heart of God is constantly seeking for people to repent. But it seems as though these souls are too far gone to even find repentance. Verse 10, the fifth angel pours out his bowl on the throne of the beast, the authority of the beast who received his power from Satan, and his kingdom became full of darkness. Listen to this statement. They nod their tongues because of the pain. Can you imagine that? They've had a judgment on them. Their bodies are in these festering sores. They have no water to drink. There's nothing to satiate that thirst but blood. They are flooded with heat. They're being scorched physically. You know, this is injury upon injury. And now they're sitting in this darkness that they can feel in this isolation, gnawing their tongues in insanity, in pain, cursing God, not repenting. Here's what. That, that, that thing that we pursue outside of God that we think is for our good, that tastes good in the moment, here's its ultimate conclusion. The wages of sin is death. Sin, sin will always bring about destruction and death in this horrific image in any human being's life. And then here's the proclamation of the good news. Here's what God has done to step in to our context and to free us from this. When I sit in these judgments, to me it is a glimpse and it is a fraction of what hell and its eternal state is defined as. It's defined as dark. It's defined as hot. It's defined as the smell of sulfur, of decay, of death. It's defined with weeping and gnashing of teeth. Even the judgments that are being poured out on this moment by God, it's a glimpse of the eternal state of the souls that this judgment's being poured out upon because they're choosing what God is not. Again, I'm holding up the mirror to myself, and God, let me choose you. In, in the smallest of things in my life, God, help me. Let me be transformed into the image of the Savior that I follow. When I follow him in the Gospels, Lord, let me have that compassion let me have the power from your Holy Spirit. Let me have the words to speak in the moment. Let me have, let me have the, you know, to be without sleep. If I need to spend all night with you in prayer, Lord, God, let me hear that. Not in my flesh, but in obedience to your direction in my life. Because if I turn away and I do, you know, I'm a, there's, no, there's nothing that can snatch me out of God's hands. I am his. I am his for all eternity. Um, God, keep me from wandering. Keep me from being stupid. Verse 12. 
Sixth angel poured out his bowl on the great river Euphrates. This has the east, always been the eastern boundary of, for the nation of Israel. You know, Babylon's to the north of that. Assyria's to the north of that. These kings of the east here says its water is dried up so that the way of kings of the east might be prepared. And again, this is a, so if all the water, all the rivers have been turned to blood, shouldn't it say that the blood was dried up? And this is one of those question marks. When it said that the bowl was poured out on the springs and rivers and they were turned to blood, is that global? Is that every single body of water? Is that most of them? Here it says that the waters of the Euphrates are dried up after waters have been turned to blood. Don't know. And I only want to see it from the vantage point of heaven, that's for sure. Verse 13, John sees three unclean spirits like frogs. You can go sit in the imagery of, you know, frogs as this unclean animal creature of the night, the songs that they sing. They're vicious. Anyways, there's all kinds of imagery in relation to frogs. Frogs coming out of the mouth of the dragon, who is Satan, out of the mouth of the beast, who is the Antichrist, out of the mouth of the false prophets, this unholy trinity. Verse 14, they are the spirits of demons performing signs. Here's their work. They are performing miracles to deceive. They go out to the kings of the earth and the whole... uh, of the earth and the whole world to gather them to the battle, to the war of the great day of God Almighty. We're going to see this in Revelation 19 when Jesus shows up. And at the mention of the great day of the Lord God Almighty, Jesus himself interrupts in verse 15, says, Behold, I am coming. But as a thief, blessed is he who watches and keeps his garments, lest he walk naked and they see his shame. The language at the end, this idea of nakedness and shame, this is uh, the act of war in the day, those who are conquered, they are even, you know, you can see in modern warfare too, stripped of clothing to, uh, to shame, to condemn. But Jesus' declaration that he's coming There is a day when he is coming, but he's coming as a thief. So Matthew 24, he talks about, I'm coming at a time when you're you're not expecting, so therefore watch and be ready and keep. And hold on to this idea of keeping your garments. Uh, That's where we're going to finish in just a minute. Verse 16, they gather them together in the place called in Hebrew Armageddon. Uh, the Hebrew language says that this is the mountain of Megiddo, Har Megiddo. Um, the Megiddo and where it is situated, it is a plain in Israel. So there are some small mountains around it. So there's a question on uh, what this place may be. And there's a question in regards to, uh, you know, the cataclysmic earthquakes and judgments that have already occurred and how that would reshape the planet. And now Megiddo may be now not necessarily a valley, but lifted up and there's a mountain there. Regardless, this is where they are being gathered to do war. And we'll see in verse 19, or chapter 19 what happens when Jesus shows up. You can read ahead if you choose. Verse 17 says, the seventh angel pours out his bowl into the air Ephesians 2.2 says that Satan is the prince of the power of the air. So we're watching, again, this judgment. 
into his place, into his kingdom, his throne, and a loud voice. So here God has isolated himself in the temple. His voice commanded for all of these judgments to be poured out, and now that they are complete, his voice comes out of the temple of heaven from the throne. Hey, look at that. The throne's in the temple. There you go. And says, it is done. And it being his judgment. Now, we still have multiple chapters left of Revelation. We're going to narrow down into the judgment against Babylon in chapter 17 and 18. We're going to watch when Jesus shows up in chapter 19. Chapter 20 deals with the millennium. Chapter 21, we have the new heaven, the new earth, and the new Jerusalem. And in 21, we have another declaration from God that it is done. So this proclamation is this action of God, his judgment, the fullness of his wrath, it's done. It's completed. We hear the same words come out of Jesus on the cross that it is finished as he died for the sins of humanity. It is done. Verse 18. There were noises and thunderings and lightnings, and then there was a great earthquake, such a mighty and great earthquake, earthquake as had not occurred since men were on earth. Big one, right? Now, the great city was divided into three parts. Some think that the great city is Jerusalem. Some think Babylon. The cities of the nations fell, and great Babylon was remembered before God to give to her the cup of the wine of the fierceness of his wrath. We'll spend the next couple weeks in that idea as we continue into 17 and 18. Verse 20, every island fled away. The mountains were not found. Great hail from heaven fell upon men, each hailstone about the weight of a talent. Can you imagine a hundred pound ball of ice? And not just one, but multiple being hurled out of heaven. Men blaspheme God because of the plague of hail, since that plague was exceedingly great. Turn to Colossians chapter 3. We're going to sit in the good news. In Colossians is a letter of Paul that, that actually we're going to turn and study this. When we finish Revelation, we're going to come to Colossians before we go into, back to the book of Acts. But here it is, a, it is once again just a declaration of the preeminence of Christ. It is all about Jesus. It's not about the philosophy of men. It's not about the law and legalism. We're going to read through this section in chapter 3. It's not about carnality, the things of the flesh. And what we want to sit in is we want to sit in the imagery where Jesus is telling, Behold, I am coming quickly. I'm coming as a thief. And his, his exhortation to each one of us is to watch and to be ready. Keep your garments. The, the, what Jesus has given to us is not something that uh, we just hold on to naturally. Naturally, we pursue the desires of the flesh. So we're told there's, there's, a, there's a constant attention needed in our lives to turn in and to press into our relationship with Jesus. If he is your Lord... Here's all of his promises. If he's not your Lord, we just sat in what you get. And the cry is, bend the knee to him today and every day. If then you were raised with Christ, seek on purpose 
Seek those things which are above, where Christ is. We're already told we are seated in the heavenly places with him. He is sitting at the right hand of God. Set your mind on things above, not on the things of this earth. And we all need to hear that. I get so bent out of shape when I read news articles and headlines. Blake, set your mind on things above, not on the things of this earth. You died. I'm dead in Jesus and I'm alive in him. I died with him. That, that imagery of baptism, you died. Your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is our life, not just mine, but our, when he appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. That glory and power of God that we just had the imagery and all of his holiness in his temple, on his throne, it's the glory that you and I receive from him for all eternity. Boy, do we have victory in Jesus. Therefore, on purpose, put to death your members which are on the earth. And these, are, these are thoughts, attitudes of the heart, words, behaviors. Listen, put away fornication. Put away uncleanness. Put away those things that you're passionate about that are contrary to his heart. Put away evil desire. Put away covetousness. It's your greediness for anything outside of God. What's it defined as? It's idolatry. You're worshiping something else other than God. Blake, put it away. Because of these things, listen, we just watched God's full wrath being poured out in Revelation. Because of these things that I just read through, the wrath of God is coming upon the sons of disobedience, in which you yourselves once walked when you lived in them. All of us were rebellious. But now, not anymore, but now you yourselves, you're to put off all of these. Blake, put off anger. Put off wrath. Put off malice. Put off blasphemy. Put off filthy language from your mouth. Don't lie to one another. Since you've put off the old man with his deeds, and you've put on the new man, which is renewed in knowledge. This is why we sit in the word of God. This is why we teach it verse by verse. This is why we exhort it in each other's lives as often as we gather together. Be renewed in knowledge according to the image of him who created us. Well, there's neither Greek nor Jew, circumcised nor uncircumcised, barbarian or Scythian, slave or free, but Christ is all and in all. It's all about him. Therefore, as the elect of God, you have been chosen by God. You are holy because he is holy. You are beloved because he is a God of love and he loves you. Blake, by choice, put on tender mercies. Blake, put on kindness. Put on humility. Put on the meekness of Christ. Put on his long-suffering. He's been patient with me. And that person who I want to just throw a rock at their head, I want God to judge them. Put on the long-suffering of God. Bearing with one another. Forgiving one another. Anyone has complaint against another. You ever complained about a brother and sister? 
This is, this is one of the nation of Israel complaining in their tents in the wilderness. It's always stood out to me. As I'm, as I'm having a private conversation with my wife complaining about you, I've always got Jesus right there correcting my heart. Stop complaining. Where am I? Hold on. I've got to find my eyeballs. If anyone has a complaint against another, even as Christ forgave you, Blake, so also you must do. But above all these things, put on love, which is the bond of perfection. Put on the love of Christ. They will know us as followers of Jesus by our love for one another. It's the bond Listen, it's, the, it's what binds us in perfection, his holiness. Let the peace of God rule in your hearts, to which you were also called in one body, and be thankful. This is why we worship together and pray together and sing God's word together. We have so much to be thankful for. And regardless of our circumstances, as we are clothed in him and his love, peace of God just overwhelms our soul. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. Listen, not in, not in foolishness, not in man's teaching, but in his wisdom. Teaching and admonishing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. As we worship, as we're going to turn to worship in just a minute, as we're singing these lyrics, yes, we're singing them to God, but yes, we're speaking these words to ourselves and we're singing them over one another, declaring the beauty and wonder and glory of God. Psalms, hymns, spiritual songs, singing with grace in our hearts to the Lord. And whatever you do, Whatever you do, Blake, whether the words that come in out of your mouth or your deeds, your works, your actions, those tasks, do it all in the name of your Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. And that's what we do now, Lord. We turn to you. We don't turn away from you. We don't hide ourselves from your holiness. We don't hide ourselves from your wrath towards sin. We don't hide ourselves from your kindness and your compassion. We don't hide ourselves, Lord, from your cross. But here we are, we're naked and we're exposed. There is nowhere where we could flee from your presence. Wherever we are, there you are, Lord. Your presence, you know us, you see us, you care for us. You provide for us. Your word is true. Your word will fulfill its purpose in our lives. My heart, Lord, it yearns for those who don't know you yet, who don't know the wonder of your glory and your love and your compassion. Anyone's listening to my voice now, Lord, where they're not sure, where they don't have the confidence and the hope that when they die, that they will not be staring into the face of a Savior, but they'll be staring into the face of their judge. May this be that moment, Lord, where they take up that mantle of faith 
and that position of humility and repentance and confession and bow to you as King, Savior, as God. May they know your love. May they experience your love. And may they hope in that love for all eternity. For those of us who are already yours, Lord, we come to you, Jesus. Wash our feet. If our garments are spotted, we're asking to be washed and renewed and revived in your blood and your sacrifice. As we turn to communion, remembering your body and blood, Lord, I'm just thinking about this cup. You drank the cup of God's wrath for each one of us. In exchange, we get to drink this cup of covenant where you shed your blood for us. It's a covenant of love. It's a covenant of hope. It's a covenant of victory. It's a covenant of wonder. You are good, God, and I want to know you in all of your goodness. We turn to you now in song, in psalm, in hymn, in these spiritual songs, Lord, to sing them to you, filled with your grace. We sing them to one another. May you bless our our fellowship, Lord, our life in Christ together. Oh, may we be sons and daughters of encouragement to each other. What a wonderful life it is that you've given to us. What a wonderful eternity it is that you've promised to us, Lord. Keep us pure. And in that purity, Lord, may we constantly be reminded there's a coming a day that each one of us are going to open our eyes and we're going to see you as you are. The God who is and was and is to come in all of your holiness and all of your glory for eternity. Amen.